This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Hi there, and welcome to The Science of Magic, a program combining the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new solutions and promote evolutionary thinking. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring the magic of Egyptian shamanism. When speaking of a shaman, most people think of the Native American medicine man. But shamanism is an ancient magical practice found at the base of all cultures that's been in existence between 50 and 60,000 years. There's Tibetan shamanism, Celtic shamanism, Siberian shamanism, and African shamanism, also known as voodoo. There are Vietnamese shaman, Inuit shaman, Aboriginal shaman, and the list goes on. Suffice it to say, shamanism is not only ancient, but widespread. Amazingly, it's still practiced by many cultures today, as well as experiencing a renaissance in modern New Age forms. The commonalities found in different practices across the globe are staggering. Shamanism is even practiced by ancient Egyptians. What did the Egyptian shaman do? How did they do it? What signs of the ancient practice are found in the paintings and hieroglyphics in the pyramids? How does Egyptian shamanic magic compare with that of other cultures? What relevance does Egyptian shamanism have for the people of today? With us this hour to explore this fascinating topic of Egyptian shamanism and magic is Nikki Scully. Nikki is the author of eight books and has taught alchemical healing, shamanic arts, and Egyptian mysteries since 1983. With her teacher and mentor Thoth, the Egyptian lunar god of wisdom, healing, science, writing, and more, she created the com- comprehensive healing form, Alchemical Healing, published in three of her eight books, including Alchemical Healing, A Guide to Spiritual, Physical, and Transformational Medicine. This comprehensive healing form is practiced by thousands of practitioners international. Her newest book, Sekhmet, Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess, has just been released. Signed copies are now available on her website, shamanicjourneys.com. Nikki, thanks for joining us on The Science of Magic. Thank you for having me. I'm <laughs> delighted to be here. Yeah, it's, it should be fun. How did you first get involved in uh, Egyptian shamanism and magic? Well, that's kind of an interesting story. Back in 1974... I was married to the first manager of the Grateful Dead, the rock band. And when when I discovered that they were going to Egypt um, in September of that year during the uh, autumnal equinox to play three concerts under a full moon with a total eclipse, I knew already in the springtime that uh, it was going to be a pivotal moment in my life. And, and it was. (laughs) (laughs) 
the synchronicity and magic that I experienced there was like nothing I had encountered before. And I was so enchanted that I returned four times during the next year just to bang on the door of those monuments and temples to see if I could find out what the source of that magic was, where it was coming from and, and what it all meant. And, um, I realized a few things. I had some epiphanies, one of which was that I was to become a healer, although I didn't know really what that meant at the time. And um, the other was that I would have to go home and do a bit of research and study and get to know the Pantheon before I returned. And then I returned 10 years later with my first tour group which started my company, Shamanic Journeys Limited. And uh, that's kind of how it started for me. And that's how it all got started. Well, I'm really, really anxious to get deeper into Egyptian shamanism. It's, it's a fascinating topic. We're going to have to take a little commercial break, though, and get started on the other side. Nikki and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Our current episodes are aired daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. In service to our listeners, prior innovative episodes can always be accessed free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. You can also email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net. The Science of Magic is produced by Relmar McConnell Media Company, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. President of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? 
wire crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness, I'm your host, Gilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Nikki Scully, author of Segment, Transformation in the Belly of the Godness. Her website, shamanicjourneys.com. Nikki, you said you went back stateside and did some studying. Where did you get your shamanic training? Well, I actually, my intention was to become a healer. So I discovered very shortly that I would have to leave the Bay Area because it's very hard to do self-work when you're in the middle of, of such a huge um, community as the Grateful Dead family. And so I picked up my roots and my children and I moved to Oregon. And within two months, I found a Reiki master was coming to town from Canada and in 1981, Reiki was not a household word. And so it was very new and unusual and pretty much unheard of. But what those initiations did for me was give me permission to do what I had already been doing, although I had been very uh, closed about it. I, I didn't. I thought there was something wrong with it, that only special people could move energy like that. And so suddenly I had permission. And with that permission, I was very enthusiastic about putting my, my hands on anybody and everybody that would let me. And Okay, that, that's Reiki, but how about the sh- shamanic portion? Well, that came from Reiki because my... Um, the world Reiki master became a good friend of mine. And when it became time to commit to becoming a Reiki master, she's the one that told me that my life had been a series of shamanic journeys, which I had no comprehension of. And um, that she recommended that I explore shamanism. Now, I had been a pipe carrier since 1974. Oh, really? How did you get initiated into that? it's not a story I talk about much, but I will tell you that um, a ghost dancer um, in Montana had a vision, a ghost dance vision, that he was to create a pipe for the Grateful Dead. And And he described his vision to a woman that was a teacher of mine and a good friend. And she said, I know who's supposed to keep that pipe. And so the one time the Grateful Dead played in Missoula, um, she and the, the medicine man's son went to the concert and gave the pipe to my husband. And he came home and 
forgot to mention it. And <laughs> it just sort of rolled out of its um, the leather binding. And um, when I when he came home, I said, what is this? And he said, oh, yes, you know, this there's a whole story behind it and it's belongs to the band, but you're supposed to be its keeper and it will be your teacher. So you, you weren't trained in it or initiated in it. You just ended up with the pipe. Well, for the first seven years, I mean, I spoke to the woman who had, you know, she, she told me that it could be my teacher or I could seek particular people, but until, uh, and she told me how to work with it. And I did very quietly. And after about seven years, I realized I was in over my head. And so I went to, um, some native elders and they sent me to a medicine man, Martin High Bear, uh, the late Martin High Bear, who was, uh, was he Lakota? Uh, he was a hunkpapa, but he did sun dances in the Lakota but the tradition. Pipe came down, yeah, the pipe came down the Lakota line. It was a Blackfeet medicine man who made the pipe, but I was trained in the Lakota way. Okay, gotcha. By, and I was taken to many sun dances and, um, and tr- trained in the way that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so far, we've been talking about the common man's um, pipe, the common man's sun dance. And that's not shamanism, necessarily. That's uh, a Native American religious practice. So where did you get your shamanic so, training? From source. What I believe is happening is that because the, uh, our culture does not support shamanism and there is a need for that in this culture, their need for people who have that ability to access source directly and bring back healing and power for their communities. One never would call themselves a shaman, and I don't call myself a shaman. Um, That's conferred by community, and there are communities in that Call so did, me you, that. did you study with uh, the Foundation for Shamanic Studies? No. No, no. My way is different. My teacher is Thoth. The person that um, introduced me to Thoth was Nadja, the late Nadja Eagles. And that was back in 1982 or three. So I, I take it Thoth is a, is a spirit helper for you. Thoth is my mentor. He is the god of wisdom in Egypt, wisdom, language, communications, the whole hermetic tradition, Tarot, Kabbalah. He's kind of behind all of it. He's so like he's, the wise uncle of the Egyptian pantheon. So he's an archetype or a god, but he's not a physical being. No, he's not gotcha, a physical gotcha. being. Okay, well, let's go he's, into Egyptian shamanism. This is fascinating to me. So would you please define magic as it's used by the Egyptians? Well... The Egyptians lived magic. To them, it was just simply a way of life. Um, To us, magic is that which we don't understand. And as soon as you understand it, it becomes science. But in Egypt, which was never considered um, by ordinary archaeology or anthropology as a shamanic culture, until... Actually, quite recently, a book named, uh, an author named Jeremy Nadler from Oxford wrote a book called Shamanic Wisdom in the Pyramid Text, where he um, interpreted the pyramid text, which has many of the instructions of the Book of the Dead in Unus's Pyramid, as instructions for the living pharaoh rather than the dead one which meant that when they had the Hebsad Festival rites, which were celebrated every, um, supposed to be their 30-year jubilee, but they had it usually every, sometimes three years, sometimes seven years, depending upon the pharaoh. And the pharaoh or his appointed uh, high priest or vizier 
would um, have to undergo these very strenuous rites that included vision quests that aren't that different in some ways from the Native American vision quests that I've been exposed to. Yeah, isn't it amazing how many commonalities there are between shamanic cultures, even like Aboriginal shaman, and that, you know, Australia has been isolated for how long before we started traveling again? Uh, And yet the practice is so similar. Well, it's sort of like you have a wheel and there's a central hub and there's all these spokes that come out of that wheel. And they all have the, the same source, but as they, each culture is a different spoke and is equally important to the integrity of the wheel, but a very different way of um, receiving information from that source and disseminating it. And in Egypt, it was very strict rites where they were, um, they're called technu, and where the initiate is isolated in uh, almost entombed mm-hmm. for three days. That's pretty and, common, yeah. And there's, there's medicine involved. There's, I'm not exactly sure what the mix included, but that allowed them to be still and to not have to breathe deeply for three days while they journeyed to source to receive their instructions and which gave them the right to hold the energy for the nation, for the, for the entire empire. Whereas in today's world, the time of charismatic leaders is over. So every person has to become accountable and has to find that direct access to source. Let's back up a little bit. Uh, help me understand here. So are you saying that the royalty were shaman, or are you saying that the royalty had shaman, or were the common people uh, shamanically trained? I'm, I'm kind of no. lost here. The common people were definitely not shamanically trained, and nor was royalty until later. It was strictly the province of the pharaoh in the old kingdom times, where he held the the reigns for the entire country. The, so so the, the, pharaoh, the pharaoh was the shaman? The pharaoh was the shaman or the pharaoh's vizier. And so according to whether it was a corrupted pharaoh or a pure initiated pharaoh was why there were so many ups and downs over the thousands of years that Egypt was vibrant. You know, I understand... Was, I understand that um, there's quite a genetic predisposition involved in some of the shamanic gifts. It's not the only way you can get there, but certainly that's a strong point. Do you think that's why the Egyptians held so firmly to their um, uh, lineage that they actually started interbreeding to keep the lineage pure? Um, absolutely. <laughs> and But it, it's, it's more than that. They had to, you had to have permission as the son of a god um, to become pharaoh. And so, for example, Alexander the Great had to travel all the way to Siwa, where the Siwa oracle pronounced him the son of Amun so that he could reign as pharaoh. What does that really mean? I mean, uh, we're talking about the gods and we're talking about human beings. And that's so much that's very similar to the story of Jesus being the son of God. What's what's the similarity there? There is huge similarity there. It's almost as though the the story of uh, Jesus, Jesus and Mary and Joseph were born right out of the story of Isis, Osiris and Horus. It's a. Uh, running track that when you look deeply into it and read the stories and myths, you'll see that they're just repeated with a different, same script, different actors. Very interesting. Pretty much. We have half a minute left. Uh, I'm going to introduce a question that we can pick up with the other side. Okay. Um, It's my understanding that there's actually a stellar configuration that is the story that we're talking about that repeats periodically. Are you familiar with that? 
Uh, not as you're saying it. I'd have to hear a little more deeply what you what you're speaking of. But I'm fascinated by the question. It's fascinating, isn't it? So it's, it's like there's this whole stellar configuration that goes on where there's a grand cross and there's death on the cross, and it's time for our break. <laughs> so we'll pick up on the other side. Oh, Nikki, right. Nikki and I will return to our discussion on the other side. So don't go away. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network. Don't miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net. You're listening to The Science of Magic, your resource for creative solutions in a changing world, thescienceofmagic.net. are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, starwalkervisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today, Know the Name, Know the Person, or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic. 
a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Nikki Scully, author of Sekhmet, Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess. Her website is shamanicjourneys.com. Nikki, we'll move on from the, the stellar configuration, because uh, I really want to get into some of the stuff that you really, really know about, which would be, uh, tell me, all the hieroglyphics and paintings of the gods and goddesses um, that I've seen uh, that come from the different tombs and this and that, they look so shamanic in nature. Can you go into that a little bit? Yes. First of all, the word for God is netter, goddess netert, the gods, the netteru. The Coptic word would be nature, and the English word is nature. So it is a nature-based religion. Mm -hmm. And so all the gods have either human, mostly human bodies with animal heads or... Uh, sometimes animal bodies with human heads. Uh, there's a mixture. There's plants. God is in everything, according to right. the Egyptians. Yeah, and, and we and we see that in the Tibetan tradition too. The the animals and in the Native American. Absolutely, yeah. On the Kachinas, every place you just see it everywhere. And so, uh, to me, that's sort of the first sign of it being a shamanic culture. But the, the children of ancient Egypt grew up knowing that they were living in service to Ma'at. Ma'at is both a goddess and a concept. It is uh, justice, balance, harmony, truth, and cosmic law and order. And without Ma'at, there is simply chaos. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah. When you when you're talking about um, the gods and goddesses, um, let's, as we view them from the Egyptian standpoint, were they um, metaphors for concepts that we could then align to the frequency of, or do do we believe they were actual deities? Both, in my opinion, um, because I find that they are in our DNA. Um, I I have a belief that um, if you could imagine geneticists without bodies in in uh, some constellation of stars, um, possibly Sirius, the Pleiades, a gathering of all of them, sitting around going, well, what would happen if we inserted um, uh, our genetics into creatures and they found planet Earth and that became their Petri dish? And then, so you see uh, this literally rather than metaphorically. Um, yes, I actually do, because I communicate them. They're inside me, yet I put them outside of me in order to have that direct contact. Um, Explain how that happens. How are they inside of you, and how do you put them outside of you? Well, they're inside. Because they're a part of our DNA that we are waking up to. And that's why I wrote this book, because it's very important that we connect with the particular archetype or deity that is Sekhmet. Because so, she... but, but wait a minute, how, how do, okay, well, I, I know my lineage a long ways back and there's no Egyptian in there. So how did this uh, supposed Egyptian god DNA get into my DNA? How does it how does it apply to me or to other people that aren't uh, coming from an Egyptian lineage? Well, I was raised Jewish, and I certainly didn't come from any Egyptian lineage that I knew of. And so it was very strange to me. Um, I finally went to my sister's husband, who was a rabbi, and said, you know, I really have a problem with this whole Jews being slaves and how does this all jive with what I'm learning? And he said that nobody really knows because the stories are parables. And that, well, there, there you have it. The stories are parables, and yet you're saying the gods are literal and that the DNA implant was literal? I, Well, that's my experience. Experience, because 
of the community because my whole life has been directed since the 80s through my relationship with this pantheon and others, Kuan Yin, Medicine Buddha. I mean, even though my book is on Sekhmet, it was instigated through my encounter with Medicine Buddha. And so how, they're when, all... When do we draw the line between personal experience for personal growth and what we um, say is, is fact that uh, applies to everyone? Well, for me, it's in that everything I do is with the intention of uh, personal, familial, or communal and planetary consequence. And that's how I live my life. Um, if it doesn't reach those three standards, it's not important enough for me to pay attention to because I only have so much time. So right now, Sekhmet, because she is the guardian of Ma'at, the guardian of that truth and balance that is so out of whack, um, then I put my attention for the last number of years on making sure that her voice is heard and people wake up to that part of themselves where she lives so that they can stand up to the um, imbalance and um, insanity that's happening on the planet like right now and, I, and help I, to bring it back. I, I totally hear you. I, I know in the as far as needing balance to come back. Um, and there's a lot of Celtic sh- shamanic practices that are designed around bringing that balance back. So why do we need the Egyptian gods? Sekhmet's name means power or mighty one. She is the feminine face of the sun. She, in her fierce compassion, very much like Kali, is a destroyer, creator, and a healer. So, how, so how, did you, how did you find that information? Was it written down somewhere? No, it came directly from her. Came directly from her? And then, of course, I researched it and found it written. But my way of learning has been to have the experience first and then go find out where it's corroborated in the literature. And I have a partner, Normandy Ellis, who I've taught mystery school with for the last 20 years and wrote my last book with. And she reads the hieroglyphs and she um, interpreted and translated Awakening Osiris, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which is the most exquisite translation of that book that exists. Right. So what what, what method what method do you use to connect with the gods and goddesses? Well, this will sound kind of strange. I'm a catalyst, not a seer. I'm not a visionary. I teach people how to see, and they inform me. And uh, that's how I've used my apparent blindness for the last 30 or 40 years. So how do you teach people how to see if you can't do it yourself? And what method do you use to do it with? Um, I take them on journeys, and they, what where, where happens... Did, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's back up. Where did you learn to journey? I thought you didn't have any shamanic training. From Nadja Eagles, my teacher who taught me healing and Egyptian shamanism, and but it, not like the Harner Foundation, who teaches you to journey for people and bring back information. In my work, which is alchemical healing, um, we teach the people to journey when we're doing the healing so that they have a direct experience of their own healing. Okay, so so I'm with you there. But then how, how you, you said that you're getting your information by teaching people to journey and then having them bring the information back for you? Um, much of it for much of the time I've ever since I wrote, um, the Anubis Oracle, I've been able to get the information more directly, but it started with my husband when we were driving down the highway and I was just very flippantly calling out the names of the gods. And he suddenly 
pulls it over to the side of I-5 and jumps out of the car and backs away and says, Nikki, you better have had a good reason for calling them because they all showed up. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? And he said, they're here and they want to know what, why you're calling them. And I pulled myself together and said, you, you mean you can see them? I can see them. I can feel them. I can even smell them. And when I learned that, he became my first visionary. And we wrote, it took 25 years of session work that we did to write the Planetary Healing book. But um, he was my chief vizier, so to speak. So, so basically and, you've done, built all your teachings and done all your writing by using someone else as an intermediary between you and spiritual information? How, yes. can you be, how can you be sure that their interpretation is correct? I mean, a lot of this work is allegorical. Because I do it with so many different people, and they all come up with the same answer. Okay, okay. Regardless. So you, I mean, you triangulate, and then you do oh, research absolutely. after that? Absolutely. And then you research it in um, and, ordinary reality? Yeah. For example, in a few years ago, I did the Sekhmet work in Egypt. And my Egyptologist, who I'd been working with for a couple of decades by then, he just said to me one day, he said, Nikki, you know, do you know that what you're doing is still being done in rural Egypt? And I said, no, how would I know that? And he said, nobody knows that. How do you know what you're doing? And I told him and he said, well, you are onto something and I will be here for you 24 seven. You call me with any questions. I will go to the head of archaeology at whatever temple is associated and find you the correct answer so that you don't make any mistakes. So now are the common people uh, still practicing shamanism in Egypt? They wouldn't call it that, but in there, they still do in rural Egypt, they would never call it shamanism. In fact, if you are caught meditating in a temple, they'll throw you out. So we, for our tours, we rent the temples. So we have them to ourselves at night when no one else is there. And we have our own security. And then we can do what we want. But um, what we are doing would be highly illegal in today's Egypt. Right, because it's uh, shamanism in so many countries has been uh, banned because the doggone stuff works. Meditating is banned. <laughs> it's crazy. Scary. Breathing is banned. Yeah. <laughs> I went. I went into. The... We're going to have to take another breath, breather and take a, take a short break for a commercial. Nikki and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the science of magic your resource to altruistic professionals of science and esoteric working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. Join our email family to receive our amazing topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. Are you curious? Do you want to learn more about how the world works and have fun at the same time? Study coincidences with me, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, on my Connecting with Coincidence radio show here on the XZBN network. Listen to Jungians theorize, statisticians randomize, true believers evangelize, while I categorize. I dance to the rhythm of coincidences. People who experience me see more of them. Maybe something on the show matches a thought in your mind. Let us know. Expand your mind to the weirdness happening around you. Synchronicity spoken here, there, and everywhere. For more information, put Connecting with Coincidence in your search engine and find my website, my social media sites, and my blog. This 
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Uyeka. What's up in your world? Email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one interested. Our guest this hour is Nikki Scully, author of Sekhmet, Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess, her website, shamanicjourneys.com. Nikki, many of the gods and Egyptian gods and goddesses in their pictures are depicted with circles over their head. What does that represent? Well, the circle is usually the sun disk. And if it has a sliver of a moon around it, then it would be the sun and the moon. And then it usually has, like on Sekhmet's head, she has the cobra, which is the sign of the awakened one because the cobra represents the kundalini energy. And so one who has mastered that energy can wear that uh, uraeus. So what all the different things that the gods wear on their heads define them in some way. Ooh, I find that you information. 
that I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. The um, um, I'm excited about the snakes because you see a lot of snakes in Egyptian um, lore and um, symbology, and there's it, when you said it represents the Kundalini energy, then you also see it very often at the third eye. Tell us about that. Well, the one of the main initiations in alchemical healing is I call it the caduceus initiation and it's when the snakes actually come up from the earth and wind around that central rod and um, place themselves on either side of the pituitary uh, hypothalamus and um, pineal glands where Thoth at the end of it puts in a diamond sphere which radiates the light all through your system and changes and clarifies your vision. And this is the principal initiation that I and those who practice my work use to prepare themselves for healings or for interviews or for meetings at work. Yeah, let's let's clarify for people that don't have our our experience necessarily. The snake you're talking about is earth energy, is that correct? Or what is it exactly? It's very much earth energy. The snakes are the closest beings to the earth. And in Egypt, of course, it's the cobra. Whereas in in the southwest, it would be uh, the rattlesnake. And in Peru, in the jungles, it would be the anaconda. But it's the same energy that they represent. And that's pretty much worldwide. And just like when I went to Australia and was uh, invited to do ceremony in a cave, the uh, elder told me to find my place, and there was a, a curved route. And I sat down, and he said, I see you're a healer. You've chosen the place of the healer beneath the snake. And realized that snakes, before the Christians... Um, sort of put a damper on them, they were known for their power as healers because they are so close to the earth and they have all of that earth wisdom. Yeah, they're pretty fascinating the way it shows up in so many different traditions. The snake as an associated with the kundalini, associated with the third eye, and then that opening the channels for enlightenment from the other way, from heaven. Um, and that's a common theme, isn't it? Uh, I believe it is. I know it's certainly very important. They are very important in Egypt, and many of them are associated with the goddess Neith, who is uh, one of the only female goddesses that has her own creation myth in which she reached into herself and pulled out the entire universe. Mm-hmm. But the snake that I work mostly with is called the Wajet, and she's one of the two ladies that are the guardians of Upper and Lower Egypt. She of Lower Egypt in the north, and the vulture, uh, Nechbet, Mother Mood, of the south. And when the two lands were brought together, uh, each of them sits on the crown, the crown of Upper and Lower Egypt, and the double crown defines all of Egypt and they Mm -hmm. are the guardians and the cobra spits fire at the enemies of Pharaoh from her place on his crown. You know, there's another, there's another thing that I have a curiosity about. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is there any connection with Egyptian shamanism and the practice of mummification? Well, I, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, Anubis is the god of mummification, the funerary god in the underworld, the opener of the way, the psychopomp that leads the uh, people after death. Um, and let's, that's let's, a very... stop. let's pause for just a second and define psychopomp so we can move forward. Okay. Uh, the psychopomp is one that has direct communication with those that have crossed over. And... In his case, he is he is a shaman. He is the elder son of a new, of Osiris, 
with Isis's sister Nephthys. Everybody's heard of Isis. Art psychopumps, um, shaman that help the dead to cross. Yes, they lead them to where they need to go. So a a human can be a psychopomp, um, whereas Anubis is the psychopomp in the world. He's who the human would work with in that tradition. I understand now. Okay, so continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, I, I forget that I every detail counts. Um, and they their interest in mummification um, had to do with their uh, uh, the word escapes me um, their their oh my goodness about death. They're consumed with death, as though death is almost more important than life. And yet, I believe a lot of that is is misinterpretation of the original uh, translations of the Book of the Dead, because the actual name of it is the Book of Coming Into the Light, or Coming Into the Day. And... um, I, so I think there's some confusion and certainly a lot of disagreement about the relationship between ancient Egyptians and death. My particular interest in the Egyptian mysteries and Egyptian shamanism is how we can use these relationships now. What is relevant about that was meant so much to them that they cast it in stone and invested it with so much magic that you encounter certain statues and they literally seem to come alive in your presence. And how does that happen and why does that happen? You know, um, we've got a few more minutes here and I did want to touch on one other question while we have time. And that's many shamanic cultures like the Lakota believe their people originally came from the stars. Is there any indication that the belief, uh, that was the belief of the Egyptians as well? Absolutely. (laughs) Just absolutely and without doubt. And um, it's my belief that their shamanic rites was all about going back to our source in the stars and being informed directly. So whether you see them as from the stars or from within ourselves in our DNA, the, the point is the same. That's where the source information is. And if we can clear all the channels between ourselves and those sources in the stars, then we will be guided to the solutions for the challenges that face us. And we do and have some big ones. We do we have, have some big challenges some big today. Ones. Yeah. So what and does shamanic healing have to offer the people of today, given the challenges that we're dealing with? Well, first of all, it's faster than anything I've encountered because your subconscious mind does not distinguish between what's a dream, a vision, your imagination, or 3D reality. So if I can get a person to have an experience of healing where the cobra comes into their body and eats a kidney stone or a tumor and they feel it and they they know it to be true because it's their experience, then their body reacts as though it happens and the healing is instantaneous. And that's just what happens. Do, does, do you have scientific evidence of a, of a tumor or a kidney stone being there and then after shamanic healing it being gone? No, but I have, because I'm not a scientist, but I have the evidence of all the people who've had those experiences. Well, you know, time... Experiences are real. Time flies, and unfortunately, we're out of it. I can't thank you enough for being on the program. Nikki, thanks so much for coming on the show. Our guest this hour has been Nikki Scully, shamanic healer and author of Sekhmet, Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess. 
Her website, shamanicjourneys.com. This has been the Science of Magic. Join our email family to be the first to receive our thought-provoking, topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you live a life of magic. 